Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the Sermon on the Mount and how we can apply it to our lives. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a really cool resource that we're giving away with this series. We understand that spiritual growth can be really hard, and I personally get that even when you leave having heard one of my sermons with the best intentions to apply it to your life, turning those best intentions into real life actions can be pretty difficult. And so with this series, we're giving away devotional sheets. These devotional sheets contain daily activities that will take about 10 minutes for you to complete. The activities are varied from day to day. One day has a devotional writing written by me, another has questions, another has guided prayer, and there's a few other things too. I really do think that these Devotional sheets will help you to immerse yourself more fully in the passages of scripture that I'm preaching on in this series, and I hope that you will get a copy. You can get a copy by visiting one of our services, or for you online listeners, you can get one by going to wilsonville.church SOTM. That's wilsonville.church SOTM. The SOTM stands for Sermon on the Mount. Hey, again, thanks for listening. I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So uh, last night I was uh, watching basketball after my kids went to sleep. Oops. Um, And this is not full size, but being next to it makes me seem bigger, right? Like I'm in the NBA. This is Hudson's basketball. Uh, (laughs) Look at this. I can palm it and everything. Um, And uh, the Lakers were playing the Rockets. The Blazer game had ended. And I turned it on, and I probably watched this game for one minute, but I happened to turn on the TV right after a fight had broken out. I don't know if any of you saw it, but uh, one of the players, Chris Paul, he <laughs> it looked like he tried to poke the guy's eye out. Like He just shoved it just, like this, and then the, there was punches, and people were throwing you know, haymakers, and the whole thing was ugly. And, and that was only funny because, because I, I had written in my sermon already uh, to tell you about my, my only fight in life, and that was in fourth grade. Uh, I was playing basketball, and uh, I was probably lipping off, and, and Derek Warnier uh, was probably lipping off back, and then we just, we, we just got in a fight. And all that fight was was him putting me in a headlock, and, and, then, and then a teacher came over and saved my life or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, another time in my life that uh, was, you know, I embarrassed myself was about fifth grade, and I didn't like a call or something, and, and I just went berserk, like pounding on chairs, like, like a Frankly, I don't ever remember any other moment in my life where I embarrassed myself because I was angry. Uh, but man, I just was like pounding on chairs and yelling at people. And I knew the referee, so I didn't get thrown out. But I got a talking to. He was my coach on a tournament team, so that wasn't a good decision. Next, uh, apparently. But anyway, uh, and and here's the thing: anger and and you know my life. Thankfully, not very often, but. Uh, but sometimes has led me to do things that, that are regretful and embarrassing, at least later, maybe not at the time. And, and we know this about anger, right? Like we know it's a really dangerous kind of powerful force. When people are angry, they do crazy things. Uh, there was recently uh, a shooting at the 
park near our home in Wilsonville, and I don't know any of the details except for uh, there was a shooting. And without knowing any of that, uh, especially because the the media and the police officers said there's no threat, uh, I just know that anger was involved, right? I mean, we don't even have to think about that, like whether these people knew each other, whether it was premeditated, whether they just started yelling at each other while they were at the park. You know, anger was involved, and we don't even have to think about that. Uh, At at a bar not far from my home, there was uh, what has been called a manslaughter. The man has been convicted of manslaughter, and uh, and I know people that know both the, the person who died and the pro- person who's now in prison. And, and from everything I've heard about each of these people, fairly nice guys, uh, decent men, good family people. And, and I have no idea what the real story is, but without thinking, and, and you don't need to know any details, right, to say anger was involved. I mean, it, it's a part of what happened there, whether one guy started or the other guy started or no matter what happened, Anger was a driving force behind one man being dead and one man being in prison. I was in the, in the Fred Meyer uh, parking lot. This has been a few years ago now, but it's indicative of something I'm seeing going on in our culture as a whole. And this lady started to back up as I was driving through, and, and I, she almost hit me. And I don't know if I was going too fast or what, but I, I pulled up, I was dropping somebody off, I hadn't even thought about it. I've, like, I'm the opposite of road rage. Like, you could almost slam into me, and I just, as long as we're good, you can even hit me. And I'm like, hey, that's too bad, we have insurance for a reason. Uh, but I, so I'm not even thinking about how this lady almost hit me. I pull up, I stop, uh, I'm letting the person out, I hear a honk, and I look over, and this lady flips me off, <laughs> and then drives off. <laughs> it's like, wow, she, she went out of her way, <laughs> like, to just flip me the bird, you know? Like, what, what is that? And I tell that story because it's indicative of what I see going on around me, and that's that everybody seems so angry now. I mean, we just live in a culture where where everybody's just mad all the time, like uh, about everything. I mean, it's like people want to get mad about stuff and, and, and I don't get it. And yet it seems to be the way our world, uh, our world is going. People are getting more and more angry. And, uh, you know, we can talk all day about how to solve mass shootings, and I'm not going to do that in, in this uh, sermon, but, you know, whether it's gun control or better mental health assessment or whatever, you know, at some point we should stop and say, these people are very angry. Now, some of this anger is deep-seated. Some of it is aimed at a specific group or people. Uh, it's, a, it's hate crimes, right? But some of it is because their parents were abusive and unkind to them, and, and this anger just continues to well up and well up, and, and then it explodes, Right? Anger is this, this terrible thing that's hurt all of us, right? And caused us to hurt other people. We all have had moments where we've lashed out or said things that we wish we could immediately get back in. Or we've had people say things to us that, that hurt. And we know they love us and that they care about us, but not in that moment. And at the same time, we just... We don't make that big of a deal out of it, at least in Christian circles. I mean, people kind of know us as angry now, and we seem to get angry as much as anybody. 
And yet, in this passage we're going to look at today, Jesus says something incredible about anger. I mean, if it wasn't Jesus, I might, I might just want to say, wow, that's a little overstated, buddy. You know, like, let's, let's tone it down a bit, like we get your point. But as we, look, as, you, as we look, and we will, at this passage of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount, this long, impactful sermon that Jesus preached, it's clear that Jesus is, is talking about what I've just described to you, how very dangerous anger is. And he's doing his best to show us how we can begin to make it less and less dangerous in our lives. And so this passage starts in Matthew 5, 21, and, and this is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And so this begins what I alluded to last week, the antithesis section of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, look, this was what was written down. Here's kind of the modern interpretation of it. And here's why that interpretation is wrong. Here's the better interpretation, the interpretation that comes through me. That's pretty much what happens in this passage. And here, Jesus begins that by saying, look, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Now, as we move into this antithesis section, these things are very uh, applicable to our lives. We've moved from some generalizations and some theoretical language and now Jesus is going to talk about the things we deal with in our daily lives and how we ought to live as Christians as people that are part of the kingdom of God but here's what's what's really easy to forget and we can't we cannot and I'm going to talk about this now and then at the end of the sermon we cannot forget what we talked about last week and that's that Jesus has said your righteousness as Christians can, can be better, greater, beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And, and why did Jesus say that? Do you remember what we talked about last week? We, we saw that Jesus turns righteousness inside out and he's saying, look, trying to follow a set of rules is never going to help you have the good, right, healthy relationship with God that, that you might want, hopefully you do, but only through me changing your heart are you going to be able to live out the things of God. Jesus turned righteousness inside out and it is only through the gospel and accepting the gospel as true and giving your life to Jesus that you are going to be able to live out the things that Jesus talks about. As Christians, the gospel story that we believe in is that Jesus came to earth from heaven, lived sinlessly, died on a cross, a horrific death, both physically and spiritually for your sins. And then he came out of the grave. And in doing those things, he offered us uh, more than we ever deserved. He offered us forgiveness and hope and peace and grace and mercy and a future in heaven and a relationship with God, a righteousness. And what the tendency is, I think, as we look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, is to forget how Jesus set this whole thing up. And to go, okay, well, there's a new set of rules. What Jesus is actually countering is this idea that we just follow a set of rules. That's what he's said to us already. And so it's, it's dumb of us to now look at this new teaching and say, oh, a set of rules. 
Jesus is trying to get us to look inside of our hearts and really grasp and, and wrestle with what we are on the inside, who we are on the inside, and then how this spills out into the, the lives that we live. And that maybe is no more true than, than with how he deals with anger. So he says, look, you've, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And we all, we all agree with that, right? I mean, that's a, that's a good teaching. Jesus is, we'll see, not saying like, hey, just throw this one out. This one's okay. We can get rid of this. I mean, murder is one of the Ten Commandments. You can read about it in Exodus 20, 13. It's something that was punishable by death and, and that punishment could not be reduced. If you murdered somebody, then you were going to be killed. That's just how it was because it was such a serious offense. We believe still today that this is at least one of the worst things that anybody can do to someone is to take their life because you are taking their very life, not just hurting them, which is almost every other crime that we talk about and punish and things like that. And so Jesus says, look, you know this command, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it inside out. That's exactly what he does in the next verse, verse, verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Seems like a bit of an overstatement, doesn't it? I mean, that's what I just told you. It's like, wow, really? Really? Anger is that big of a deal? Making fun of somebody is that bad? And I think to get more to the point of what Jesus is saying, we need to look back at, at the first instance of anger, and that's in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. This is the story of Cain and Abel. If you don't know the story, Cain and Abel bring different sacrifices to God. One is acceptable and pleasing to God. One is not. And, and then this is what we pick up uh, in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, whose sacrifice was not accepted by God, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it I mean here's Cain just sitting around you know maybe pondering killing his brother because that's what he ends up doing that's what he's most famous for and and, and the Lord comes to him and and he doesn't say hey that's a really bad idea he says why are you angry why are you angry and as he says this he gives this very stern warning sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you and what we know from our lives and in this passage of scripture and from what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is that anger is, is like a, a crouching lion that just wants to eat you up. I wrote it as anger is like a crouching lion or hidden dragon waiting to get you. But that only makes sense to you who are as old as me and older. Um, and this is because anger, and this is what Jesus is getting at, anger is the first step in murder now we know hopefully there's a lot of steps right i mean this is not like you go from anger to murder i i don't think any of you have gone from anger to murder but it is in fact the first step 
We know this is true, right? And and Jesus gives us this progression and, and the progression shows us what is at the heart of the matter, what is the inside righteousness because he turns his attention to this word raka, which is a term that means empty or empty headed and it refers to a person who is in some ways worthless. It's a pretty mean thing to say, right? I mean, we say things that are similar to that. I mean, we would... We would call somebody a dummy, right? Like you're stupid. And what does that make a person feel? It makes them feel worthless. And that's kind of the words that, uh, the word raka, you know, I mean, stupid or dumb or whatever, that would be getting to kind of the idea of raka. Like it's challenging somebody's intelligence in a way that demeans them and makes them lesser than you or just lesser than, than they really are. And then this word fool takes uh, another step forward. It's uh, the Greek word in which we get moron, um, but that's not uh, necessarily a great understanding of the word because the word actually had a, a, a moral uh, kind of meaning to it. Uh, it. It was used to refer to godless people. And so you can see the progression here. You can see how this person in Jesus' words would go, hey, you're stupid, you're less than, you're worthless. Oh, and by the way, you're not even even important to God. That's really what it's getting at. The only phrase to connect to that foolish word that that I could come up with is, is the phrase, go to hell. Uh, We say that in American culture, right? And we don't think anything of it. And I'm guessing when people referred in the Greek language to somebody as a fool, they were just mad, right? They weren't really thinking about all that that means, what you're really saying. You're just angry. You just say things, right? And in our society, when somebody says go to hell, they they don't really think like I'm making a value statement about what God thinks about these people, but they are. They are. I mean, especially because we believe that hell is a place where people go because they've rejected God, because they have not chosen to be adopted by God, because they, they do not get to spend eternity in God's presence. And this word fool was similar, just saying like, hey, God doesn't even value you. We don't value you because you're so stupid. That's the first progression. And by the way, you don't have any value at all because God does not value you. And, and here's, here's, here's the, the truth that I think Jesus is getting at. Anger is the feeling of wanting to devalue someone. And words are an effort to do just that. And murder is the ultimate end of that feeling. When we're angry with some, somebody, you know this, right? This is why it comes out in our words. We want to make them feel less, like less. We want to hurt them. We want to tear them down. We want to show them why they are not worth. They are not worth anything, anything to us, anything to other people. It comes out in our gossip and our slander and in just the the angry things we say to people. Anger is the feeling of wanting to devalue someone. Words are the first step in doing so and murder is the ultimate step. That's that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's all about the devaluing of the people that we are angry at. In 1 John 3.15, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. 
That word hate translates a Greek word that means active ill will in words and conduct or a persecuting spirit or to slight, to make less of somebody. That's what hatred is. And what is hatred? Hatred is just deep-seated anger that lasts a long time, right? And so Jesus' point here is that when we are angry, we feel a desire to devalue God's creation. And here's the deal about God's creation. I mean, we believe that God created humanity in his image and likeness. And because of that, every single person has inherent value and worth. And not only that, we believe that Jesus then came and said, you're so valuable and have so much worth that I'm willing to sacrifice my life and my glory in heaven in order to save you. And and when anger wells up inside of us, it's a feeling that that contradicts all of that. And when we declare you're stupid or you're worthless or you're an idiot or I can't believe you always do that or how dare you or I can't believe you're such an idiot, you know, all the, when we declare these things, all we're doing is tearing at the very truths of God who have inst- has instilled in us a deep, deep worth and value. That's what it is. And so Jesus is not using hyperbole here when he says, when you are angry, you are, you are moving towards judgment. Say, when you're angry, you are moving down a line that is going to end up with you being judged because you have devalued the work of God. That's what you've done. Now the, the question is like, well, what, what do we do? And I want to talk about the outside, what do we do first, and then we'll move back inside because because I think it all comes back to that. And we see a little bit of a glimpse of what we ought to do in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul's a realist as he writes this. I mean, you're going to get angry. It does not make anger right. It does not make anger good. But it is going to happen. It is a, an emotion that is natural to us as, as humans. I mean, I wish it wasn't, but it is natural to us. We're not surprised when two basketball players fight, right? Because it's a part of, it's a part of it. It just comes out every now and then. People are angry with each other. And so Paul gives this this declaration, in your anger do not sin. And it's like Paul saying, look, I know you're going to get angry, but when you do, don't take the next step. It's good advice, right? I mean, you're going to get angry, but when you are, don't say the mean thing. Don't talk behind the person's back. Don't make declarations that you wish could come back in. Don't do stupid things that you're going to regret later. That's really good advice. Sometimes hard advice to follow because we're angry when we're trying to follow it, but it's really good advice to follow. The next time you're angry, a great first thought would be, don't do anything that's sinful while you're angry. But then Paul says this other thing that's really important. He says, look, don't sin in your anger and also don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
when you're angry over a long period of time, it ruins things, right? I mean, we, we kind of know this, like, like if, if you have a bad relationship with your parents or you have a bad relationship with your kids, it's probably anger. Somewhere, maybe way back when, but it's anger that's been held on to. You can think of husbands and wives, right? I mean, normally people don't wake up one day and say, honey, I've just been thinking, let's get a divorce. You know, I mean, there's anger that is not dealt with and it builds and builds and builds and builds. And then someday somebody wakes up and says, let's get a divorce. And the other person is not that surprised. Uh, some people have deep-seated anger with their siblings and, and it just has been building for years and years. And, and others have it with uh, their co-workers, you know, and, and you just can't get along with that person and the anger's there. And at some point, you're gonna say something that you regret. And, and, and what Paul says is, look, don't let the sun go down. Now, on just the, the first level, that's great advice. Uh, that's something my wife and I have, have tried to do in our marriage is not go to sleep angry. Uh, that advice was given to us. It's biblical. Uh, and so, look, don't, don't go to sleep while you're still angry at whoever. Like, deal with it right now. But I think Paul is not actually saying, like, you know... You know, in the fall, when the sun starts to go down earlier, you can be angry just a little shorter, you know? <laughs> like, and then once daylight savings time hits, then you really got to deal with it quickly. Like, Paul, Paul is, is saying, deal with anger now. Don't hold on to it. And, and that's confirmed in, in what Jesus says next in our passage of Scripture because he says this in verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole here and uh, at least I, I believe he is using hyperbole here because to go, listen now, so he's talking to a group of Galilean disciples, right? And so th th they would have to walk basically to another state to put it in our American vernacular, right? So they have to travel to another state. They have to get ritually purified. They have to purchase or bring along an animal. They have to slaughter that animal all to get to the point where they're about to make this offering. And so if Jesus is really saying, if you happen right at that moment, moment to go oh man Bob my neighbor I really upset with him then stop everything travel all the way back to Galilee say hey Bob can we deal with this and then you deal with it with Bob and then you get back on your camel and you travel back to Jerusalem and go through the whole process it's it's quite a ridiculous idea right like that's a lot what Jesus is saying is dealing with anger should be so important that you're willing to drop everything and deal with it right now this isn't about the details, it's not about, and I've applied it this way in my life, like, hey, you're about to start church, and, and so you're about to start church, and you realize that you and your wife had a spouse on the way there, I've literally applied it like this, you and your spouse had a fight on the way there, and you better go make up before, like, you, you, you do church. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, anger is such a big deal that you need to drop everything and immediately deal with it. Don't let it linger any longer than, than you have to. And notice, this is such a big deal to Jesus that, that he says, look, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, 
Now remember, he's talking to a group of disciples, right? These are people who are his followers. These are Christians. And, and so he is saying, look, if one of your Christian brothers or sisters is angry with you, anger is such a big deal that you should drop everything in order to help them deal with it immediately, to seek reconciliation, to go and say, look, I know you're mad at me. I, I didn't mean to, or I can't believe I did. Will you please forgive me? Let's deal with this. That takes it another step forward, right? Like anger's not such a big deal. It's not only such a big deal that you need to deal with it in you. It's such a big deal that you need to help other Christians deal with it, even if it's your fault or even if you're the one they're mad at. Because anger is the feeling of wanting to devalue God's creation. And if it's not dealt with, you will devalue God's creation through your words, or through other actions. That's the line it goes on. Jesus continues, I mean, in verses 25 and 26, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now look, Jesus now switches from brother and sister. If your brother or sister is mad, you go help them deal with it. You go, you go apologize, do what you need to do to the adversary, your enemy. If your enemy and you are at conflict, then deal with it immediately. What's really interesting about this is he says, settle matters quickly, and that's more literally, uh, make friends with your enemy. That's That's a bigger statement, right? I mean, like, I could settle matters, but to... It, ah, to make friends. I mean, that's, that's the level. Do you see how important this is to Jesus that he is using this hyperbole and, and he's saying, look, become friends with your enemies and drop everything you're doing, even if you've traveled hundreds of miles to be here, like stop and deal with this thing called anger. And when I look around at our world, I, I just, I think like, it'd be so easy to dismiss this and go, a little bit of anger is not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. But people are getting so angry and it seems to be building all the time. So much so that when we hear of another mass shooting, we just don't care. And I think like, could we just, if we could just build a time machine and go back in that person's life and and see where the anger started and say, look, deal with this right now. Just deal with it. Like whatever you have to do to stop being angry, just stop. Because this can end badly for others and you. That's how it's gonna end. And it's not just that way and like, you know, I don't think you are gonna go shoot people, but like your broken relationships and, and, and man, and your biases against groups of people maybe and your hatred of, of the other political party, you know, these things build. And they build because we're not listening to what Jesus has said. And that's like, this is a big deal because it devalues other humans. And you need to deal with it now. Now, right now. But, but that's really hard. Because we're angry for a reason, right? I mean... <laughs> We don't usually just get angry for nothing. We're angry because they've done something to us. We're angry because 
I mean, I just mentioned politics, like because they're on the wrong side of this issue and it's going to lead this country astray or we're angry because, well, that group of people is, is, you know, hurting our society or we're angry because that person in our life is just so wrong or uh, my spouse has done this thing and I am, there's a reason. And some of the reasons are good. I mean, some of the times we're hurt, right? We're hurt. And you men know what I mean. Like hurt only means angry for us. It's really hard for us to decipher emotions. And how do we deal with it when somebody has wronged us? Like they've truly wronged us. And I think that the only answer, the only answer is is to have a righteousness that's inside out. I've, I've never found that it really genuinely works to tell myself to stop being angry. And, and I, it really never works when somebody else tells you to stop being angry. <laughs> That's the worst. That's probably what happened when Chris Paul shoved his finger in Rajon Rondo's eye last night. He's like, stop being so angry. Oh, you like your eye? <laughs> That's how those things go. Uh, my my great-grandmother uh, used to tell me to count to 10. She gave me a lot of good advice. I mentioned her a couple weeks ago. You get to 10 and it's like a rocket ship ready to explode, right? It's like building for 10 seconds. 10 seconds until I can punch them. You know, I mean, that's how you feel. It's like a blast off. Because anger does not get changed from an outward, an outward effort. It just can't. It has to be an inside-out righteousness. And that's why our righteousness can exceed these people who are trying so hard to follow the laws. And when it comes to anger, and this is more from personal experience than looking in the Bible, but the only way that we will avoid sinning in our anger, the only way that we will have it in us to, to deal with that anger quickly and, and find it in our hearts to stop being angry when somebody else has done something against us is through genuinely believing the gospel story that I've already presented. The gospel shows us our worth, right? I mean, isn't that what it does? God created me. He died for me. I mean, if, you, if you're struggling with self-esteem, self-worth, self-value, uh, look at the gospel more often because it says God created me in his image and then he thought so much of me that he came down from heaven and he died. That's a huge deal. And, and it shows us our value and worth. And in so doing, it points to the value and worth in others. Because as Christians, we don't believe that we were any better, that we didn't deserve that grace anymore, and God loved us anyway. And so we look at others and say, wow, I'm angry with you, you've done something, and it makes me feel like you don't have the same value as I do. But I believe that God died for you too, and it shows, you, it shows your worth and value. The gospel gives us forgiveness, right? I mean, the God of heaven who we have sinned against in terrible ways, ways that we regret, he looked down and said, I will give you a way to have the punishment for those sins removed. And in so doing, he gives us the blueprint blueprint for how we can forgive others. I take away your punishment. I wanna say something mean to you, but man, God forgave me so much. How dare I not forgive you just this one thing? 
are these many things. And the gospel reconciles us to God. An impossible reconciliation, right? I mean, how can God look down at me and see all the things that I've done against him, all the times when I've forgotten about him and, and, and just said, I'll take care of it myself or I'm gonna do it in this way that you told me not to because it feels better. And if he can reconcile me to him, then being reconciled with this person is not impossible. It's not And so I'll do my best to seek that reconciliation. You see, what we want to do with anger is go stop being angry, but what what I think Jesus is getting at is a righteousness that's turned inside out. It doesn't say stop being angry. It looks inside and it says, okay, these people have worth and value. I see it in the gospel. These people can be forgiven by God, but I know how much he's forgiven me, so how dare I not forgive them? And man, these people, it seems like impossible to be reconciled, but I've been reconciled in an impossible way and I serve a God who does the impossible. And so I'm sure that he can reconcile us too. Uh, now that, I know it sounds theoretical, but uh, and I'm not even gonna tell you this story. You can ask me sometime when I am not being recorded, but uh, I was wronged terribly once. And uh, it's the only time in my life I haven't been able to sleep very well. <laughs> my wife, everybody I know is jealous of me. It takes me about 15 seconds to fall asleep. Could have had the worst day ever. I could be stressed about everything. And, and if you know me, you know I stress all the time. But as soon as I close those eyes, it's done. <laughs> it's over. But there was one period in my life where I had been hurt and wronged and I was angry and I was so angry that at like five in the morning every day, my eyes popped open and I was just furious. Over a month, this probably went on. Uh, And I'll tell you that the only way the anger dissipated, it's the only way, is I just thought, wow, I sinned against God so much and he forgave me. And I have to do whatever it takes to forgive them. It was like, God, I I don't deserve what you've given me. And I tell you, they don't deserve what I'm trying to do for them. But I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pray for them. And I'm not going to pray, God, strike them dead. (laughs) Even though I wanted to. (laughs) God, let them break their legs today. I'm gonna, while gritting my teeth in the first days, I'm gonna say, God bless them and grow them and help them to sense your presence and and forgive them and help them and be there with them. And over time, over time, God, God changed my heart. I'm friends with these people. One of them I talk to frequently. People have said, how is it possible? And the answer is, God stopped being mad at me, so I just felt like I had to stop being mad at them. And so... 
you're going to get angry. Try to stop immediately. When it comes, don't send in your anger. But do your best to remove it quickly. And, and you're going to do that not by saying count to ten or think of something happy like Bob Ross. Don't know why that popped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, it's going to come by looking inward and thinking about how God has reconciled you to himself by his forgiveness and incredible grace. And if he did that for you, then you ought to do that for other people. Let me pray that'll happen. Lord Jesus, I know that people who sit in front of me, people listening online, God, um, they deal with anger. And, and some of it's those quick, you know, moments, God, uh, where there wasn't any ill will ahead of time, but, you know, just got angry. And, and I pray, God, that we would be better at not sinning in those moments and that we would be better at uh, removing that anger quickly, God. But at the same time, Lord, I know that, that people with me today, God, are that many have anger that's lasted a long time. There are uh, people, God, in their lives that, uh, that just seem unforgivable. They've done things that are unforgivable. And Lord, it's caused them to devalue that person in some way and Lord it might seem I know because I've been there it might seem impossible that reconciliation could ever happen it might seem impossible that that they could ever forgive that the anger could ever be gone uh, but I pray God that that they would turn to your gospel and God they would they would remember how much you have forgiven them and your incredible grace and then that they would just do whatever they can do first step to offer that forgiveness and grace to the other person, Lord. And I pray, God, because you said this in the Sermon on the Mount, for those of us who have wronged others in some way, I pray, God, that we would find it in us, even, God, if, if we really didn't, but they think we have, I pray that we would find it in us, God, to take steps to help the other person be reconciled to us. Apologizing, reaching out, whatever it is, God. Lord, I thank you for, for not being mad at me for eternity. I know that many will face your wrath, God, but I won't because you came, Jesus, and you died for me. I thank you for that, and I pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, during this next song, I just ask that you respond to God.